Hello, beautiful. I'm your host, Samantha Roberto, founder of the Vibrancy Method program, and I am honored to be your life and mindset coach today. I believe we are most vibrant when we are authentically ourselves, and quite often, it's our challenging moments in life that shape us to be that best version. I also believe that deep down, we all have an unshakable confidence within us, and sometimes we just need to be reminded of the light within and who we truly are. So here, we share empowered women's stories to highlight the importance of honoring the journey and to learn from their lessons. We've got a great episode for you today, so let's get to it. Hello, beautiful. You guys, I am so excited because today we have my friend Steph Gaudreau, who is a nutritional therapy practitioner, intuitive eating coach, we are counselor, which I'm all about, and strength coach who helps women who lift weights fuel themselves better so that they get stronger, increase their energy and perform better in and out of the gym. She is the author of three best-selling books and her long running podcast, the Listen to Your Body podcast has over 3.7 million downloads. Steph, Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm so excited for our conversation. Thanks for inviting me. Of course, of course. And just to give a little background, Steph and I met, we were just chatting. We met six months ago in Clubhouse, in the, the realm of Clubhouse. And immediately, as soon as I heard you speak, I was like, this woman knows what she's talking about. I just need to connect with you and be in your realm. And the more I've learned about you, the more amazed I am. So just grateful for you to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Clubhouse is an interesting place. And I've connected with some people that, you know, sometimes this industry or, you know, you get into sort of your little pockets and you know, everybody in those pockets, and then you go out into a a different platform like Clubhouse or something like that. And I've met some really amazing people there, much like, you know, you and a couple of other folks. So I'm just like, oh, I love what they're doing. So it almost reminds me, I don't know if you've been to Burning Man before. I have not. (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. But it reminds me of the essence of Burning Man, like the synchronistic connections. You land in a room and then all of a sudden you hear someone, you're like, there's something there. And it just, you know, life will bring you together. So I'm Mm -hmm. so glad that it connected us six months ago. And here we are today doing this podcast because really the thing that got me with you was all about intuitive eating and listening to your body. And we actually hosted a body keeps the score room together for a couple of weeks there. Mm -hmm. So listening to your body is something that I'm definitely standing behind. And I want to know for you, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and what got you into this? Because from what I understand, you were a teacher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been a winding road. Um, I started my professional career at the age of 21 as a high school science teacher. So I was teaching chemistry and biology. I've always been fascinated by the human body. And in college, I actually majored in biology, human physiology. So, I mean, I had intended to be a doctor and then that changed. And so I've always been fascinated with the body. And when I think about it, I'm like, you know what, this journey really started when I was a kid, you know, of of understanding the body and like how we can come to a place of working with our bodies instead of against our bodies. But I did high school teaching for 12 years. So that was my first job. And then I eventually left the classroom and I had a blog that was a recipe blog that I had started on a whim in 2010. And that was eventually what I turned into my recipe website. Then I started coaching and here we are today. So it's definitely morphed and changed over time. But you know, my personal story, I feel like is, is so common. You know, I have such a similar story to so many people, which is growing up feeling like there was just something wrong with my body. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, bigger than a lot of the kids. I was bigger than my closest si- sibling in age to me. So we always got compared and I always compared myself to her. She's just like taller and thinner and blonde. And here I am just a bit of a tank and. <laughs> Always, always athletic, but at a very early age, I was very self-conscious about my size and my weight. And that really started this whole experience with trying to always lose weight, trying to be smaller, trying to diet, uh, trying to exercise to make up for what I ate. That went on for many, many years. And it wasn't until about 2010, so a little over a decade ago, that I went from endurance sports, 
So I was racing mountain bikes. I was running races and I was doing triathlons. And I had this moment and I actually just got a notification on Facebook. Love Facebook for this, but also hate Facebook for this. <laughs> it's like, guess what you were doing? You know, 10 years ago, I got a picture that reminded me I was in Lake Tahoe preparing for this race. And it was during that weekend that I had this moment where my then husband, uh, now ex, but my then husband took a picture of me at a waterfall. And I just, I saw that picture later on after that weekend. And I was like, I look disgusting. I hated how I looked. And looking back, there was nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with how I looked at all. And, and so that to me was one of the, the low points. And I'll just say, you know, body image issues aside, like there's, there are different layers of this, right? I am in a straight size body. I experience no oppression because of the body I'm in. However, I still grew up with diet culture and all of these mm-hmm. things that told me your body's not right. You're, you're too big. You should lose weight. Anyway, long, very long story short. Um, <laughs> as we get, to, I could talk about this all day, but at that point, that, after that race, the next month I started lifting weights. I, I walked into a gym. I was like, I want to learn how to do this for real. And it was that decision that really started the domino effect mm-hmm. of the rest of my life, the last decade of learning how to uh, relate to my body in a different way, of being more kind to myself, mm-hmm. and ultimately being an advocate for this for other women. So I won't like spoil all the details there, but it was you know it's it's a journey, a lifetime in the making, and it continues to evolve and unfold. And that's just that's just part of it. It's continuous growth, learning, and evolution. Mm-hmm. Wow, I mean, what a beautiful journey to be on. You know, mm-hmm. if you think about it, our body is like the vessel that we're in from the day we're born till the day we die. So if you're gonna mm-hmm. want to heal any relationships in your life, it's like the one with yourself. And essentially with your body, I'm curious, you know, looking, there's so much there, but looking back at, um, your relationship with your body, what do you feel like at what age do you feel like the seeds are starting to be planted of complicating and and planting those seeds of, you know, you're not enough or your body should be this, or you should be that. Do you think it starts basically from the young age childhood? Yeah, for me, it was probably sometime around the age of eight. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll also say I also had, um, you know, which I understand now would have been a pretty traumatic event happened to me, which is the death of my grandfather, who was like my father. Okay, so people have to understand, Mm -hmm. like, I lived with my grandparents. My actual biological father was really not in my life. And I had a stepfather at this point in my life, but my grandfather was my rock. And when I lost, you know, he died and it was like a parent had died for me. It was really at that, that point that I, I, I just, I remember thinking like, this is all my fault. Like, you know, an eight-year-old, like, <laughs> but it's, it, it's a very, it's an event that makes a mark on you. Right. And so mm-hmm. there was, there was that going on in my life where I really felt like, you know, I lost somebody that was really important to me. I was always a very like perfectionistic child. And I had a a family member who would make comments about my body. And so it was really from a pre, mm-hmm. I would say a pretty young age, like eight years old or so. And I had an experience uh, with my mother when I went to, she would always take us to the pediatrician on our birthday, which is I think like the worst birthday gift you could give someone. But it was her way of remembering that we had to go to for our yearly checkup. So I'm glad we had access to medical care and all that stuff. But um, I remember going into the doctor with her for that checkup and I was an active kid. You know, we would play, we're always outside. This was before computers and we were always, she was always kicking us out of the house to go play in the backyard. And uh, I played sports. I was in dance. And I remember the doctor making a comment to her, like, you know, she's overweight or she needs to lose weight or it was something in, in that realm. And I just remember the shame like the, that hot burning of shame that comes across your face when somebody has said something like that to you. And Mm -hmm. she kind of stuttered her way through it. Like, uh, she's, she's a bookworm. And, and I was like, you know, I'm an active kid. I'm in sports. I'm in dance, you know, and it was just, that was another moment where it made me feel like I wasn't, there's something wrong with me. Right. Mm -hmm. I had to change. I wasn't good enough. So definitely was, was laid pretty early on. And Mm -hmm. I think now what, what if I had grown up in the, you know, 
we didn't, I didn't have a computer. I didn't use a computer, I think, till I was 15. So that just kind of gives you our 16. Um, but, you know, growing up with the internet, growing up with social media, now I can't imagine how much harder it would have been, right? How many more experiences, how many more things I would have seen. And then when you kind of zoom back out, you think, well, when we were watching TV and we were watching Saved by the Bell, you know, that was our show Saturdays. Totally. We were like, yeah. Saved by the Bell. So like you think yeah. of all those popular shows, all those shows for t- tweens and teens. And you think about what were we watching? Who were we seeing? Were we seeing people in, you know, were we seeing much body diversity in those days? It's changing now. But, you know, you kind of think about how very subtly, very unconsciously mm-hmm. those things plant seeds in your mind mm-hmm. about your body. Mm-hmm. And how it can manifest, you know, like think about mm-hmm. something, something that happened when you were eight years old, how that has manifested in so many different areas in your life every single day without you probably even consciously realizing it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so when I do this work with people, I'm like, you know, it's part learning a new way, but part unlearning. Mm-hmm. We're learning and unlearning simultaneously. And it's mm-hmm. super messy. Um, it's, it's not a nice, fun, you know, linear trajectory. But ultimately, um, if you decide to take on this, this work, you de- decide to take on this, this healing for yourself, um, you know, it, it won't always be the most fun. You'll discover things. You start to peel back the layers. Sometimes you need support from therapy. Sometimes you need support from a coach or a community. Like, it's really a group effort to... Mm-hmm to move through this and find a more, you know, peaceful, loving, compassionate way to relate to yourself. Amen to that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm here for it. And like, you know, one thing that you said that is, I think so relatable and, and most of our audience will probably have had this moment where, like you said, that, that photo that popped up in Facebook and remembering after you saw it, you're like, oh my God, I look so big or I look so this, or I look, you know, you get that feeling of like, this is the worst thing delete, delete, delete. And then Mm -hmm. you look at it, you know, further removed from the situation, you're like, oh my God, you're beautiful. Like, you know, oh my gosh, what were you even thinking? Like the Mm -hmm. stories that can play in your mind and the suffocating feelings and emotions that can come up with that. Totally. Yeah. So for somebody who's listening, who has a complicated (laughs) and it's complicated relationship with their body, you know, what I knew that, I mean, there's so many different paths and so of towards healing, Mm -hmm. but what would you say for somebody who's listening, who's on that journey where do they go or how do they start? What are some first steps if they're seriously ready to start this path? Mm-hmm. Such a good question. And I get asked this quite frequently and I'll just say there's no one right right yeah. way or right place. What can be very helpful it, for some people, and this is the first step to really changing anything, is to develop awareness, mm-hmm. to start becoming aware of what are even the thoughts that I say to myself that could be writing them down. That could be vocalizing them to another person that you really trust. It could be just stopping to notice, you know, how many times a day do I say really negative things to myself? How many times do I berate myself? Am I uncaring or unkind? And the tough part is that some of us have learned through relationship uh, that love, you know, what we think is love is that harsh edge. And it can be difficult to say, like, there's a difference between getting real and honest with yourself about what you're not happy with, and then being mean to yourself as a catalyst for change. And I will say that kind of quote motivation, people think I just need to like be hard on myself. And I'm like, it does not work. It will not work long-term for you to be mean to yourself in order to motivate. And also recognizing that some of us have had that experience where those who we thought were going to love us or we were in relationship with sometimes were, were mean, right? Mm-hmm. They were unkind. And mm-hmm. so some of us have to learn, this is where therapy is really amazing, is like, how do we separate those two things and start mm-hmm. to, to relate to kindness in a different way? But I'll say negative motivation doesn't work. So can you just start by being aware? Maybe you don't want to change anything yet. You're not ready for that kind of change, but you're just more aware of how you speak to yourself. What do you say when things don't go your way? What do you say when you're ha- you're having feelings that are challenging? Do you, you know, look at yourself with that kind of gentle kindness and say, "Yeah, gosh, you're going through such a hard time right now," you know? Um, or do you say mean things to try to get yourself out of it? And so that can be one place. Um, 
Another thing I really like to do is to kind of follow the chain back. So if you do realize that you're having a challenge, I don't necessarily say negative feelings because I think all feelings are valid. If you're having feelings that challenge you, right, is to, if you notice them, is to look backwards in your day and think like, what led up to this moment? What led up to this sort of like eruption of me feeling really down about myself, of me having this bout of negative self-talk of me having these challenging feelings and kind of step back through your day and say like, what led up to this? And quite Mm -hmm. often for myself personally, because I still have moments where I wish something on my body was different or I don't like the way I look. Look, I don't want anybody to think I just live this perfect life and I'm like Teflon and challenging body thoughts just bounce off of me, right? Like we, we will still all have them because we still think thoughts all day long. But when I, what I do is I'll look back and I'll think, you know, was there something about my day where I was feeling vulnerable? Mm-hmm. There's something that happened in my day where I felt unsure, uncertain, afraid, anxious. Mm-hmm. And how did that chain go on through the day and then end up with me feeling bad about myself or having tough thoughts about myself? This is another thing that sounds really simple, but it's like stopping to ask, like, what do I need in terms of self-care right now? And I'm not just talking about manicures and, and brunch, but I'm also t- <laughs> talking about super basic needs, right? Mm-hmm. When's the last time I ate today? Because sometimes that like really low blood sugar feeling right? Plays out as hangry. It plays plays out as increased anxiety. Mm -hmm. It plays out as really low energy, Mm -hmm. really low mood, right? So when's the last time I ate? Do I need to take a break? Mm -hmm. Do I need to get outside and get some fresh air? Mm -hmm. Do I need to pause and maybe not work out today, but take a, take a nap? Mm -hmm. Do I need some human connection? You know, like what are those basic needs? And I think that those two things like following the chain back and then like honoring your needs right now, Um, whatever it is, even if it's very small, getting off social media. I mean, let's be honest, stopping the scroll. I know it's hard, but get off social media. If you're like, I'm stuck in this like pit of comparison, Mm -hmm. put the phone away, turn it off, hide it. I don't know. Like there's a bunch of things you can do. (laughs) I could just take it out of the room, you know, lots of stuff. But those two things I find can be really helpful. So awareness, following the chain back and um, pausing to ask what you need in the moment are all, you know, there are three different strategies. They won't necessarily work for everybody, but ultimately if you want something to change, you have to, you have to have awareness of what that thing is. Mm -hmm. I love those. And um, it kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, the the name of your podcast, you know, Mm -hmm. listening to your body. And it sounds so you know, simple or so easy, but it's like, how often are we busy being busy and don't actually take that pause? Like that, that second to just be like, Mm -hmm. what does my body need? Like body, what do you need right now? Mm -hmm. And then listening to say like, you know, I'm, I need a nap or, you know, I'm kind of hungry or a glass of water would be good. And actually opening up that communication channel with ourselves can go a freaking long way. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen to your body isn't something that you just like master in a weekend, right? It's not something, Mm -hmm. it sounds simple. It's not always easy. Everybody is different. We all have different life experience. We all have different hurdles and challenges to being able to connect Mm -hmm. back with our body. I mean, there are people um, who, again, you know, it would be awesome if they had access to work with a therapist to see if there's anything there that needs Stories. to be heal, healed in the then and you know in the then and there in the past but also it can sometimes be logic we we think that we should just be able to work for 10 straight hours and push through and our bodies are really smart what they'll do like what our body will do is our you know our tension will decline after about 90 to 120 minutes so it's an hour and a half to 2 hours if we're focused on a task if you notice this you'll start to notice that your attention starts to to drift, mm-hmm. they'll be like, Oh, I'll just check my email or oh, I'll just check social or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and so recognizing that like we, we need breaks, we need to rest our mind. We need to rest our body. We need energy. We need to actually provide our bodies enough energy to be able to think, to be able to create, to be able to problem solve, to be able to you know, be active and do the things we want to do. And um, where does that, and this is where you get curious and you ask questions, where, why do I believe that I have to push through? Mm-hmm. 98% of the time when I'm working with my clients, this expectation that they work without breaks is not coming from the outside world. It's coming from inside. Now that could be internalizing all sorts of messaging, of course, but it's like no one's standing over them and saying, 
you can't take a break. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's, there's a lot there with productivity and worth. There's a lot there with um, being a woman and proving yourself. Like Mm -hmm. it's very complex for a lot Mm -hmm. of people, but it's like stopping to ask, like, who says I can't take a break? Is that realistic? Would I expect that of someone else? Mm, not powerful. Mm-hmm. And so asking questions, getting curious of what the answer is that comes through is so, so powerful in that process. But yeah, I mean, listening takes on so many, there are so many different ways you can approach it and start to build that trust with your body to start to build that awareness with your body. But I'll say the analogy that I use a lot that may resonate with people People think, oh, I'm broken. You know, I'm broken. Mm-hmm. I just can't get body signals. And I use two uh, two analogies. The first one is, can you sense when you need to use the bathroom? You're like, ooh, okay, I gotta take, I gotta go pee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, okay, your body's communicating with you, right? So you're able to to get that signal through. It means that you can reconnect. And there are lots of different ways to do it with other signals like hunger and fullness. That's mm-hmm. you know, those are the two that we tend to have a lot of baggage around. And The second analogy that I like to use is if you think about your favorite radio station in the whole world, it's always sending out signals. Mm -hmm. They're always transmitting. They're always playing songs or having programming. And as long as you're, you're tuned into the signal, you're going to hear your favorite radio station. But if you go out of range or you tune off the signal, right, you're, you're going to move the dial. It might not be audible to you. You might not be able to necessarily get the signal. And mm-hmm. so it's to have that trust that like your body is always communicating. We've just learned to ignore or we've learned to push aside or we've had an event that has made us disconnect. Mm-hmm. And so we can bring our tuning, we can tune back into the signal through various mm-hmm. different types of support and practice slowly to start coming back online with that. So trusting that the signal is always there. Beautiful. The body is on your side. It's like yeah. the body's on your team, right? And it's just a matter of reconnecting to that. I'm curious because something, um, so many women have this feeling that if I be smaller, if I lose weight, if I, you know, when I get to this, I'm going to be happier. But there's this like obsession with being smaller, you know, and feeling that there's a happiness that equates to this. What's that all about? <laughs> Well, I mean, when you when you take a look again, you know, which bodies in when you look out in in media, when you look out on TV, when you look out in, you know, all sorts of places in the world, whose bodies are are valued, whose bodies are held up on a pedestal as like the best. And mm. that paints a very powerful picture in terms of what we think we must achieve in order to be happy. But I'll, I'll ask people to think about, you know, if you ever had like a a lowest goal weight and I had one and I won't tell you the number, so I don't want to be triggering uh, to anyone. But when I got on this scale for that and I was like, oh my gosh, it finally happened. I think I felt good for a minute, a few minutes, uh, maybe an hour or two. I was like, yeah, I finally did it. I got that dopamine hit, right? Of you have the 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 hunt, the hunt for the lowest weight, and you're like, I did it. But I'll tell mm-hmm. you what, when you get on that scale or you get that lowest weight or whatever it is, all of your issues are still there. Mm-hmm. And it will never be enough. It will never be low enough. And here's the thing: even if you do get to a specific weight, your body it is a fact of life. Your body is going to continue to change as you go through life. And if you pin all of your happiness on a specific size of your body, what happens when that body cha- when your body changes, right? So there's that. And then does it mean that all of the other challenges and issues that you have in your life have magically gone away? The answer mm-hmm. is no, right? And it's, it's, I have not met anyone who was satisfied, who was truly satisfied when they got to that, that number or that look, right? That body look like, oh, I'm like magically satisfied now and it's all good. Like I never need to stop. Here's the thing. You never like caring for your body is something you do for your whole life. Mm-hmm. And obviously every like we have different accesses. We have different layers of privilege to all that. However, you know, even at your basic needs, eating, sleeping, right? Hydration, all that stuff, like safety, all of those things, they will never change. And so even if you do get to a lowest point, you don't then just go, well, I'm done caring for myself. 
you have to continue caring for yourself. And so it's just really complicated to put all of your happiness into a number or into a specific size because of these things. You will continue to change. Any underlying issues that you have will still be there. You know, you have to think about, will it ever be enough? And how else do I define my worth and my value? When we when we wrap up worth and value in size of body and those things are guaranteed to change, then we're left feeling like we're not worthy and we have no value or mm-hmm. our value is less than we just have to get back to this place. So sometimes people will say to me, well, I felt better when I was at whatever size. And I'm like, I want you to think about what are the ways you were caring for yourself mm-hmm. in that time? Were you eating more vegetables? Were you getting a regular exercise, you know, regular exercise into your life? Was it a, before you had a large stressor in your life? Like, what was it? How were you caring for yourself at that time? And what sometimes people realize is they were at a smaller size or a smaller weight and they really weren't caring for themselves in a kind way. Mm-hmm. Like myself, when I was at that quote lowest weight, I was barely eating for the amount of exercise I was doing. I was training for all these endurance events and I wasn't properly fueling. I wasn't sleeping very well. I just wasn't caring for myself. And so I look back and I'm like, wow, okay, actually to be at that smallest size, like continually depriving myself, restricting food, over-exercising, that wasn't a kind way to treat my body. And if you were treating yourself kindly and you were you know, feeling like you were happier at a smaller size, what were the things you were doing? What were the behaviors that you did to help yourself feel good in your body or better in your body? Were you eating regular meals? I mean, I can't tell you how many people I talk to that look back and they're like, oh, I was really just trying to eat on a regular basis. I wasn't skipping meals and, you know, or whatever, whatever the case was, you know, I was getting exercise a few times a week or I just had a lot less life stress at that point. Um, Sometimes people have had a a traumatic event and they're still grieving or they haven't grieved yet. And so they're like, I'm comparing myself to a a time where things were really different. And so I I guess I would just, you know, have people go back and, and think about that stuff. Like, what was I doing? Was what I was doing really kind? And what are, what are some of the lessons I can learn from that? You know, Mm -hmm. if you, if you need to, to eat more regularly, so you have enough energy, you're like, okay, I can do that. But Here's the thing. Weight loss is not a behavior. What are the behaviors that we can do that are health promoting behaviors that we want to focus on? Mm-hmm. Because we can control those much more easily than we can the exact shift in our weight, you know, and crash dieting and lots and lots of caloric restriction is only going to, you know, it's only going to come back to bite you later on. So are those changes that you're making sustainable? Are they healthy for you? And, and that's all very mm-hmm. personal. And that's why having a coach or at least some kind of support through that process can be very, very helpful because we often don't have the capacity to look at ourselves in a really objective way. And um, you know, even coaches have coaches. So I'll just say that. <laughs> Absolutely. And being able to get that you know, bird's eye view, that objective view, it's invaluable. And one approach that I really love with you, it's really strength versus size, you know, yeah. like looking and being like, what, how can I, you know, go from that? the space of, of strengthening my body, being empowered in my body, feeling energized in my body and, and having that compassionate lens. Uh-huh. I'm curious, I'm curious, the relationship with the scale. I mean, mm. I don't own a scale. I don't own a scale, but I do. If there's ever a scale there, I always just check it. You know, it's one of those things, but like, what do you tell your clients to do with the scale? It's such a daunting thing for so many people. Yeah. Well, I'll say with my one-on-one clients, I don't tell them to do anything. I invite them. I I invite them to have better way. (laughs) I ask them questions and invite them to have a discussion about what they want to do with the scale. And so what I'll tell you is this the way I help women is yes, we're like, what are we focusing on? We're thinking about like, are we fueling our bodies with enough energy? Um, we're lifting weights, right? So we're changing the focus from just trying to get smaller to like what our bodies can do with that, right? So there's, okay, we can talk about like, how do you lift heavy enough? And, you know, how do you progress safely? And we can talk about the difference, you know, why protein's very important and why carbohydrates like are amazing energy for our bodies. 
Um, and not every carb is a pop tart, like, you know, or, or candy or cake or whatever people think it is. So we can talk about all those nuts and bolts, right? We can talk about all the facts. We can talk about evidence-based nutrition and strength training, but, and a huge part of what I do with my clients is also assess and, and we work on at kind of an umbrella, um, relationship with food, relationship with exercise and body image. Because Mm -hmm. if the beliefs, the thoughts and beliefs underpinning the nutrition and exercise are coming from a place of not good enough, lack, wanting to only shrink the body, like whatever the challenge is, it's going to show up in the behaviors, right? Because thoughts impact feelings and feelings drive our actions. So we, Mm -hmm. we do all of that. And so for some clients, you know, like I said, it's not, I don't, put demands on people. Um, but it's like, well, what is your relationship with the scale? You know, um, some people can use the scale as a neutral tool. Great. They're like, it doesn't mean anything about me or my, my worth, my goodness as a person. Um, I don't feel like I'm a failure or a success. If the scale is moved in a particular direction, you know, it's a neutral tool. And I'm like, great, do your thing. But for most of my clients, as well as for me, you know, I had this relationship with a scale that was very unhealthy for me, where it would dictate the tone of my day. It would dictate how I felt about myself because I equated my my weight to my worth, right? Mm-hmm. So for some people, they decide that they like to take a very slow approach. They're like, okay, I move this scale from the bathroom to the closet. So I'm not looking at it every single time I walk in that room, not like you know, right in your face, (laughs) taunting me. It's out of sight, out of mind. Some people decide they're just like, I'm done with it and they'll (laughs) throw it away. Some people will say things like, but I need to be able to weigh my luggage. And I'm like, okay, let's get a luggage. Uh, They make special scales that hang right for luggage and bags and things like that. You could get one of those. Is that something you want to do? Oh, okay. I could do that. Right. And so it depends on the person. For some people, we don't even talk about that's part of the, the relationship with food and body, but we don't talk about making any specific changes with that yet because it feels too hard. Mm-hmm. And so we will put a focus on, you know, what are like, what is your top priority? What are the things you want to work on most? How do we then structure that with behavior-based changes? You know, what do you want to be con- more consistent with? Are you noticing what your energy is like? Are you noticing what your um, your mood is like? Are you noticing this? you know, is, is, are you making progress with lifting weights or moving your body exercising? Like, are you, are you feeling, you know, stronger? Do you have, you know, so all that whole world. And so for some people, um, the scale will fade when we start to put the focus on those other things. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, let's keep the focus on these behavior-based changes. And they're like, oh, well, okay. As I go on, I realize the scale is less important to me. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this additive approach where we crowd out, you know, like we crowd out the other things we don't want to do instead of having to wrestle with, do I stop weighing myself or not? Mm -hmm. That's a big question in people's minds of like, well, is it wrong? What if I, you know, what Mm -hmm. if I stop caring about myself? And I'm like, well, what we're going to do is you're going to work on the self-care and the like behavior-based changes by focusing on behavior-based changes. So that alleviates the like, what if I, because the scale ends up becoming a control mechanism. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, it went up. Therefore, you know, things are going awry. So where do we actually put the control back in people's hands is process-oriented behavior-based changes. And and also for women, quite honestly, you know, even if women are in perimenopause or menopause uh, or they're currently irregular with their cycles, um, even if they're on birth control, anybody who's menstruating, like we think about like cycles and normalize that that we have cyclical changes in our bodies. That's okay. Um, and that's to be expected. So in the, you know, I, I'm a huge advocate for tracking cycles and at least just getting some baseline data for your body. You might notice that your weight fluctuates five to eight pounds over the course of a month. And that's, uh, you know, what's not, what is normal, but that's normal for most, for most women or just getting the, the N equals one information of, oh, hey, I notice I'm pretty salt sensitive. So if I have a really salty meal or something like that, I wake up the next day and the scale was heavier. Well, it's because I'm retaining water. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So um, we kind of sometimes have those discussions about like physiology and how does the body work? Not at a degree level of like, you know, I'm doing my master's degree on this, but to just help people to understand that fluctuations are normal. You cannot gain a pound of fat overnight. It's not possible. I mean, somebody could probably argue with me that it would be possible. It's extremely unlikely. You can't gain a pound of muscle overnight. So if your weight changed overnight, it's going to be a water fluctuation. How does that you know land with people? They're like, okay. Um, and then of course, there's deeper discussions about like, why do we fear fat so much? Are we thinking about muscle in addition to you know the other body changes that people often want to see? And so, yeah, there's a lot of ways we can consider it, but Ultimately, when working with a client, it's driven by them about what they want to do. And we look for, we look to replace or to focus on the behaviors that we want to see and that we can control more than Mm -hmm. what the scale is going to tell us. I love it. Beautiful. It's an empowered way, really, when I think about that, because I think when it comes around the body and diets and nutrition Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's so much telling, like you should, you should, you should, but this Mm -hmm. is like asking And having them intuitively tune in, get curious, bring that awareness, and then, you know, take whatever step feels good from there. So what's your take on intuitive eating? Can you share like what, for someone listening, who's like, what's intuitive eating and and what do you feel about it? Yeah. So uh, intuitive eating is a framework that was created by two dietitians, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch in 1995. So think about what you were doing in 1995. I was in high school. <laughs> I was in like elementary school, grade school, maybe. So, <laughs> so it, uh, I, I give that context because people think, oh, it's this brand new thing. It's been around for over 25 years. And it's a, it's a framework that takes into consideration 10 different principles for building more body awareness and autonomy and really looking to, to find the overlap between internal body awareness and external health values. Where do those overlap for people? And then that is a more personalized version of authentic health. And so I'll just say really quickly, the the way that most of us operate with our health and well-being and nutrition is the outside world, the external world just tells us what to do. Mm -hmm. And we go, oh, they said I should do this. Or Bob in accounting is doing keto. Therefore, I should be doing keto or whatever it is, right? And so we we... We live in a world where the external noise is very loud. And mm-hmm. so we follow all the external rules and values and information and we get really confused and we're like, what do I do? Um, I don't know what's healthy anymore, et cetera, et cetera. And so what intuitive eating attempts to do is to build internal body awareness and internal awareness of what, you know, a bunch of things. What do you like? What are the tastes you like, the flavors you like? How does your body give you signals that you're hungry, that you're full, um, that you're satiated, you know, all of this stuff and looks for the overlap. So look, we're not saying intuitive eating is not not like just eat unlimited junk food, which is what a lot of people think it is. Um, You know, oh, it's, it's promoting bad habits. Um, Oh, people are going to stop caring about their health and so on. And it's just a lot of misinformation. But what we're really trying to do is say, where is the overlap between internal and external for people? Can we bring both these worlds together instead of one or the other is really looking for both because nutrition science is, you know, there's lots of evidence. There's lots of studies. We can kind of look at that. We can look at best practices, but we also need to take into consideration the individual. So for example, if you, um, if you have a strong cultural heritage, you have a strong connection to that. It's, very presumptuous to tell someone to stop eating the foods from their culture as like, oh, those aren't healthy, right? It's a very like Eurocentric way of approaching nutrition to just go, well, just eat like this, right? What? Forget about those other foods. Or you may have um, certain religious or spiritual practices that are really important to you. And you're like, well, I do actually fast as part of my religious practice. So where does that fit in? And so we, we need to take all that stuff into account. And that's what intuitive eating is helping people to move forward with. It also takes into account, yes, your body's communication to you, but also using rational thought and logic. So some people are like, well, just listening to your body, like that sounds impossible, or that just sounds like nobody will make smart decisions. And I'm like, it's both, right? We're looking for thinking with our thinking brain, as well as what is our body telling us? So I'll give you a perfect example. I work with a lot of people who um, 
have counted macros for a long time and they always have found that they're under eating, they're not eating enough, they're always hungry. Uh, and I've done it too. So this isn't me just being, you know, a, a tough person or being a hater. But what they'll say is, you know, the outside world is telling me exactly how much I should eat, but my internal body signals are telling me you're still hungry. Yeah. Looking at that and thinking, okay, well, am I eating enough food for my activity level? Now I need to start bringing this information together. Right. And so it's, uh, it's also something like, Intuitive eating is not just eat when you're hungry and and stop when you're full. I mean, there are reasons why we sometimes eat even though we're full. Like that dessert sounds really good and I want that for myself and I haven't, you know, want to have this treat. Or, wow, I haven't eaten in six hours. The logical part of my brain says it's time to have a meal. People who have high anxiety, some people who are on some certain types of medications, people who have a history of trauma and have a um, disconnection from their body, if they only wait until they're hungry to eat, they won't ever eat. So sometimes we have to say logic says mm. we need energy. We need a consistent stream mm. of energy in our body. That doesn't mean we have to snack all day long, but looking, hey, have I eaten you know, some substantial meals today or have I eaten some smaller meals to keep my energy up? That's using logic. Um, and that's taking intuitive eating from a hunger fullness diet, which a lot of people are like, I only eat when I'm, I'm hungry. So I didn't eat today. And I'm like, that's not how that works. Um, <laughs> we need to sometimes use our thinking mind as well. And so I think that's for a lot of people, why it sounds confusing. They're like, but I don't know how to do it. And so one of the simplest things is to like, slow down. This is something I have almost all my clients do slow down at your mealtime. Put your fork down between bites. <laughs> you can be, put your fork down. You can take a sip of water. You can count how many times you're chewing. I mean, whatever works for you, but just slow down. Why? Because that gives your body a chance to catch up and send signals from your stomach to your brain that say, I'm satiated now, like, or I'm, I'm getting fuller. You know, um, it can help you notice the food, notice the textures. What do you like or not like about it? And yes, eating can be utilitarian. Every meal does not need to be slow and relaxed. But if you notice you have indigestion, you're not digesting your food well, you're eating to the point where you feel uncomfortably full because you eat very fast. Slowing down is so, it doesn't, it, it's so powerful. So for some people, it's really difficult because mm -hmm. they realize, oh, wow, you know, I was in the military and I had to eat my food in five minutes or I've got little kids. And so I'm always trying to just eat when I have a second and I'm on the go. And so it it, it can give some really powerful information. So that's one way that you can get started. But, you know, in, when I work with clients and, and we're sort of thinking about how do we fuel ourselves? Are we getting enough energy for our activity? We're also looking at things like the psychology behind our food choices, mm -hmm. right? And how that plays out. So do I believe that foods are morally good or bad? And how does that impact my choices? If I'm always restricting a food and I'm like, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. That's bad. I'll feel guilty. What happens when that food comes back into your life? You eat all of it and then you feel mm -hmm. guilty again. <laughs> so it's like mm -hmm. we, we look at these things of like our thoughts and beliefs about food and how they impact us in the psychology of all of that too. I love it. It's so layered. And the one thing that I really find is slowing down and awareness, like actually taking the time to bring awareness mm -hmm. and slowing down to see what you're doing on the behavioral levels. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's some, and I'm a huge proponent. Another thing that people can do is just focus on adding something. Nutrition overall tends to focus on what you're going to cut away. Yeah. What are you going to take out? What are you going to limit? What are you going to, going to restrict? I flip that 180 and I'm like, okay, what are we focusing on adding this week? Love it. I just did this with a with one of my groups as well, where we played um, we played gentle nutrition bingo. They had a bingo board of all the things they could add or try or do differently, and it was people just had so much fun with it. They were like, "Ooh, I get to try a new recipe," or "Oh, I want to you know add some protein to you know most of my meals," or "I want to add a different vegetable," or something like that. And it's like when we take that approach and we're not trying to just cut away and restrict and limit, right? Think about what happens to your, your body and your brain when you do that, get so defensive, right? They're like, I've had people that tell me I dream about, you know, I'm trying to eat zero sugar. And so I end up dreaming about sugar. All I can think about is eating sugar. I'm like, let's try focusing, adding something. Mm -hmm. 
do you eat vegetables at most meals? And they're like, no. Okay. Can we start with adding vegetables to one meal? And then we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, so when you focus on adding your brain relaxes, your body relaxes, you stop hyper-focusing on the things that you want you to avoid. have. Yeah. yeah. And by its very nature, sometimes those foods will start to limit themselves. Like you'll start to gravitate more towards the things that fill you up, that give you energy, right? We're like protein and veggies and, um, and that sort of thing. And those all have a place, but they, they will slowly kind of crowd out some of the other foods that you you're like, Oh, it's just been this battle. I've been trying to been trying to, you know, cut out all these foods and it backfires. Like think about how many times it's backfired <laughs> on you. And, uh, <laughs> And there's a, there's a, there's a more enjoyable way to do things. Totally. It sounds like even right now it's lighter. Like, what can we add? How can we have fun? It's just more, oh, like you can almost breathe more because the restriction just makes you feel like, like you said, like that defense, like, what do I have to get rid of? I'm losing something. It already just makes you feel down and and out. Yeah. Such a powerful, such a powerful uh, perspective shift. Mm -hmm. The energy of, um, of having to restrict everything or having a big list of no foods. Mm-hmm. It's just so heavy. It's so heavy. It's a really difficult um, energy to deal with. And then on top, and it can help. So one of the reasons I think people like that is because it makes decision-making easier, but there's other ways to include simple decision-making that don't involve just trying to, it's like, imagine a, a field full of landmines and you're just trying to navigate your day without tripping on a landmine, right? Of like, oh, I can't eat that. Oh, I can't eat that. Oh, that food's in the break room. Oh, somebody brought that to the, the picnic, you know? And, and you're, you walk on eggshells yeah. all day long, right? You're thinking about just being, quote, good. Rather, let's flip it. Let's think about, yes, satisfaction. Let's think about foods with staying power. Let's think about uh, things that you actually enjoy eating that you also know nourish your body. And having having those as part of what you focus on is so much more sustainable. Totally. What do you think about the um, when you're at a grocery store, just staying around the perimeter? Yeah, I've heard that before. And I do that kind of. like I kind of like sometimes I'll go in the aisles and get what I want, but I'm just curious your take on on perimeter grocery shopping. Yeah. I think there's a lot of really amazing foods in the inside of the the aisles, right? If I was to tell somebody that like beans are a staple food for them or rice is a staple food for them, like only the only good foods are on the perimeter of the supermarket. That'd be really presumptuous of me. And I understand where that mentality or that advice comes from. And mm-hmm. that simplified advice comes from, but there's tons of, you know, there's tons of really delicious sustaining foods that come from the center of the market. And and the other thing to that too, is like including the foods that, and I will just call them hyper palatable foods. So that would be like, you know, highly processed carbs with fat, which is typically the, the things that make it super delicious, you know, anything like fatty, crunchy, and salty, um, or, you know, or sugary, if you can combine those things, like you get this, like, amazing zing of yes. But the more I will tell you this, I have clients who had foods that come from the center of the supermarket that they were like, I cannot keep that in the house because I will eat the whole thing. And so all I do is I try to avoid it, but then somebody will bring some over or I like I caved in and I bought it and I just will eat the whole box or the whole bag. I have clients now who had those foods and those foods are also now in their cabinet and they're like I mean, sometimes I'll have a serving or I'll have some and it's just not that exciting to me anymore because they've broken the cycle of restriction and binging, right? And so they keep it around. Like I, my example is I always have chocolate in my cabinet, always. I love chocolate, me too. I always have chocolate on hand because 95% of the time I'm like, I could care less. Right now, if I check in with myself, I I want some kind of protein. I'll probably go make oatmeal and eggs or something like that after this. That's what my body is wanting. Mm-hmm. Chocolate doesn't sound interesting to me right now. But if I were to restrict it and be like, oh, you can't have this. Rec- not recently. Uh, within the last couple of years, I had dental work done and I couldn't eat. Now, you would be um, like, I was amazed at how much I started thinking about food. When you couldn't when I, eat. When I was told I couldn't eat. All I could think about was when the next meal was going to be. Now, normally I'm like going about my day, doing my thing. I know, I know food is available. It's not, it's not weighing heavily on my mind, 
And it, uh, it surprised me because I was like, this is how I used to live. So, you know, back to your question, it hijacked your mind. It totally hijacked my mind back to your question. I think that there are, are plenty of valid foods that are in the center of the market. You know, what are the most important things for people? You know, are we including variety? Are we including foods with staying power? Are we getting in, you know, protein and veggies? And, and that's kind of like a, a, a staple of the meal, but that's not the whole meal. And that doesn't make those foods good or bad. You know, it's just that different macronutrients have different value for us. Um, are we including foods that we, that we like? If we keep food super off limits and then we're like, I, I'll use air quotes here, binge eating or overeating on them and eating the whole thing. You know, what happens when we allow those things to be around more often? Eventually they lose their luster. They're not as exciting anymore. Our brain's like, oh yeah, just that thing is around. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that that advice overall is well-meaning, but when we look at it in detail, it can miss some of the nuance of food, which that's the whole part about food is it's very nuanced. Totally. Yeah. Well, Steph, you have obviously such a wealth of knowledge. Um, thank you for, for coming here and spending the past hour. I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, yeah. how has an hour gone by? It's like, it's 2021 has gone by so quick too. Mm-hmm. But um, for anybody who's interested to learn more and dive in more, um, I know you have the Listen to Your Body podcast. Where's the best place to find you, follow yeah. you, connect with you? Tell us all the things. Yeah. So on social, I'm most active on Instagram. So you can find me, just uh, search Steph Godro. You'll see me come up. I have a podcast, as you just mentioned. And my website, stephgodro.com, has all the ways you can currently work with me along with my free mini courses and all of my free resources that I have. So I have a group program coming up in summer 2021. I don't know exactly when it's launching, but it's going to be about, you know, how do we fuel ourselves and if we're lifting weights, but doing it in a way that isn't restrictive or obsessive, which is really important to me. Um, And then I also have one-on-one coaching and depending on where I'm at and how many slots are open, there might be a wait list up. If you go check, you can get on the wait list and, you know, when new spots come open, we'll send out information about that. Beautiful. Thank you so much, my dear. It was a pleasure. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. If you love today's episode, we have many more amazing topics to come. So make sure to subscribe to never miss a beat. And since you made it this far, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram at Samantha Roberto and tell me what was your biggest takeaway? I want to know if you're looking for even more support, make sure to check out samantharoberto.com for more information about my coaching packages and stay tuned because next week we have another incredible episode being dropped. And don't worry if you're super eager, we have a whole bunch of binge worthy life-changing episodes already posted so you can keep going there. Remember you are most beautiful when you are you. So turn up your light and shine and we'll see you next week. Thank you.